0: Let's take our Bibles and let's open them and let's turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 to 11 is going to be our text. And let me just say this, if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Our, our usual method of, of uh, our time together in worship is that we'll have a book of the Bible and we will walk through it uh, from beginning to end. Um, we're doing a little bit something different now as we are encouraged and um, God's work in our midst, and we look forward to um, the enhancing of our facilities and the enlargement of those things, as we're reminded that as we move as we move forward in that, that we are moving forward by faith. But also it's much bigger than just simply a physical building, that even as God is building us up together in love, that that also, as He grows us inwardly and spiritually, that that too, is by faith. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 to 11. It says the Word of the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins Would you pray with me, please? Our God in heaven, we are thankful for your word. It is indeed your word, infallible and errant. It is our only rule for faith and life. And we would ask now that you would take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts, and that you would mold us and make us into the men and women that you've called, and children that you've called us to be. You do, uh, you, dear Lord, would you do in us what you will? In my weakness, may your strength be made manifest. Teach us, we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the passage that we just read, it, of course, you heard and I read, it, it begins with the end of all things is at hand. We're going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a few moments. But what exactly does Peter mean by that? But the truth of that statement has profound consequences on life and on how life is lived. If indeed it is true that the end of all things is at hand, if that is true, then it should affect the way that we live our lives. It should affect the way that we love one another, serve one another, the way that we view things in the world in which we live. Sam Harris is an outspoken atheist philosopher, um, debates people quite often used to, uh, much more than he does so now. But he was speaking at an atheist conference back in 2005, and he was talking about how this belief of the return of Jesus and the consequences of that belief, he was talking about what, uh, um, how important it is. In other words, he, he would argue, even, even he would argue as an atheist, that for believers this is not just a simple hope, like I hope to win the lottery, But it's a firm conviction of the return of Christ that this belief and the consequences thereof, and here's what he said, should be terrifying to all of us. And that's an interesting way that he put it, isn't it? Because his point was that these beliefs, these firm convictions, and even these certainties actually affect, should affect the way that those who believe them live. And he was right about that. And in a lot of ways, Peter is using that very same argument here. And of course, the purposes for Sam Harris and the purposes for Peter are very different. Harris goes on to say, and he says, the time for respecting religious beliefs of this sort, he says, is long past. His, his whole premise was that life lived based on these sort of beliefs is just simply foolish. Who would believe in such a thing as a man rising from the dead? This belief, he says, he says with no evidence, this belief that as he sees it is in complete contradiction to everything that he knows to be true. Because after all, science doesn't teach any of it. Science proves that the dead cannot be raised. Science proves that water can't really be turned into wine. Science proves that creation, he argues, had to come from somewhere. And as I mentioned in the weekly devotional this past Wednesday, in modern culture, it's not theology as the queen of the sciences that actually rules and reigns, but it. But it now bows before the reason of man. And after all, Harris would argue, all those things require a miracle. It would require a God. And well, science can't prove that either. It doesn't seem reasonable. And so, I will honor and worship reason. Even if it's in the face of opposing evidence. Because you see the point here, and you may be wondering why in the world bring that up here at 1 Peter chapter 4. Because Peter says the end of all things is at hand. He doesn't say it in a vacuum, he doesn't say it apart from a particular context, but he says it, Peter says it in the context of having seen a dead man rise from the dead, rise from the grave. And ascend into heaven. You see, Peter is not here speaking hyperbolically. Peter is 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 not even um, uh, drumming up mass hysteric uh, hysteria. Peter's not even having us look forward in a vacuum either. He can rightly and confidently say, "The end of all things is at hand," because Peter is standing in the midst of. The end of all things. And you say, what do you mean by that? Because we're now, we're now several thousand years past, Peter. We need to rightly understand... The end times. We need to rightly understand what Peter means by the end of all things. It is that period of time between this historical event of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that future event of the general resurrection of the dead for which we still wait. The victory over death, the victory over death came to pass in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and it's going to be consummated at his return. And we live in this tension of the already and the not yet. Peter tells us, Paul tells us, the scripture teaches us that these are the end times. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think sometimes we think of the end times as, because we, we, we determine the end times by looking at the world out there, and we see what's going on out there, and, and we are really narrow-minded when we do that, because we think as if the United States, whatever's happening here is determining what God is doing there. Get over it, people. That's not the case. God has a plan, and He is working all things together for His purposes, But we tend to look out at the world and see all the things going on and going, oh my goodness, it's got to be time for Jesus to return. We're almost to the end times. Brothers and sisters, we've been in the end times since Jesus rose from the dead. That is a proper understanding of life and how we are to view life and the world around us. We live in that tension. Again, why do I bring it up? Because Peter says, with that in view... This is how you're to live. This is how you are to live with that end in view. And it's interesting what Peter does. His emphasis is on the body of Christ and that you live by serving. You live by serving. What a great encouragement for us. What a great encouragement. And and when we serve, when we serve the church, we're actually serving the Lord. And that's the encouragement that it gives. And those are the two two simple things this morning that I want us to look at. Those two things: serving in the church and serving the Lord. And so, in view of this time frame in which we live, that Peter lived, as well as in which we live, we live in view of the end of all things. And so, Peter says, "Therefore, therefore, in view of that reality, Peter's emphasis is on is in, is encouraging a church." Here, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, and so his burden has been has been throughout the letter to instruct the church in living in the midst of that, in light of the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, and as well as in view of his return. See, we look both backward to what God has done in Christ already, and we look future awaiting for the return of the Lord Jesus. And Peter has been encouraging the churches to do just that. Live with this view in mind. Living now in the in the in that tension of the already, and then not yet. And he's, and he's been instructing, and he's already instructed the church in living before a watching world, how to, how to live as the church, as individuals within the life of the church, uh, responding to the attacks that often come from without, coming from a world in opposition to the things of God. He's been doing that in this letter, but there's, there's, a, there's a minor shift here. As we come to 1 Peter 4, And that minor shift here is it seems that Peter's stress now is not just on us individually as members of the church, but now, and and so, for example, in our marriages and in our communications and our relationships, doing, doing what's right in the eyes of all and so forth. But here, there seems to be a shift that Peter's shifting to a more corporate concern, not just to us as individuals, but to us as a church, as a church body. And so when Peter wants to address this, and it's interesting how he does it because it still involves us individually, but as part of the church body, we're now to one another, each other. You say, that's weird to say it that way. Well, it's interesting how this, in in the New Testament, this, the Greek word that's used for one another, it's used over a hundred times. And, and, 59 times that it is used, it is used as a direct command for how we are to relate to one another within the body of Christ. This is an important thing within the life of the church. And and from our text here, we see love one another, serve one another, show hospitality to one another. But it, but, but it, it expands over and over again. Our Sunday school class right before this, this is what we were talking about, wasn't it? These are important things to the Lord for the life of His church because we reflect we reflect the Lord Jesus in how we act as the church. When, when we love one another well, we're reflecting, we, we are reflecting the love of the Lord Jesus. When the world watches us as a church, we ought to be reflecting the grace, love, mercy, righteousness of God to a watching world. And so Peter turns to these one another's um, How does the church survive and thrive in the midst of the world when it finds itself under attack? Because oftentimes, and particularly here, to what Peter was writing to, what Peter was writing to, they were under persecution. They were under opposition, suffering, challenges. That's the context that he was writing in. And it is true, when the church is in the midst of that, that can really have a have a unifying effect it could also have the opposite effect couldn't it think of a family that might suffer a tragic loss and maybe you've even experienced this in your own home oftentimes families that suffer a tragic loss it it begins to tear the family apart why does it tear the family apart because individuals within the family, they turn inward to deal with their own pain and their own hurt. And, and, we, and why do we do that? Well, we do that because of self-protection. We feel like we've got to protect ourselves from, from whatever it is out there. And self-protection always results, always results in driving others away. But what about a family that suffers loss and tragedy? They can also find great comfort and great strength and great help and great hope. How? In one another. In one another, by turning away from themselves to love one another, to serve one another, to benefit one another, and and think of these early churches here to whom Peter's writing, they're they're scattered around this area of what is now modern day Turkey, and um, in those cities back then, it's I I think sometimes we we look at the world in which we live, and uh, in Northwest Arkansas particularly, I mean you. You don't have to drive very, very far and you're going to find another church. In fact, you could probably skip a rock from our front door here and hit another hit another church. They're not very far from each other here. But here in, uh, in, in Peter's day, in those cities, there was usually one church, one church in a city, and it wasn't even made up of that many people, that many individuals. And so when you were involved with the life of the church there, if you didn't like a hymn That they sang or you didn't like the way that the offering was taken or you didn't like the way that this person did that or that person. You couldn't just go, you know what, I'm going to go down the street to another church. No, they they had to learn to live with one another. They had to learn to love one another. They had to allow themselves to learn that actually, indeed, love covers a multitude of sins. And as we, as we come to a passage like this and we're talking about this, I think a lot of times there's a, there's a tendency for us to go, is Chris speaking at something particular? Is there something going on within the life of the church that he's addressing here that we're not loving well, we're not serving? No, not at all. Not at all. This is an encouragement because this is what God calls us to be and to do as a, as a body. And as we're thinking of this initiative over the next couple of weeks and about a building, I don't want our minds and hearts to be wholly taken up with a building because what we're about is God building us up in faith together. And so let's not allow that to distract us from God's doing in our midst with you and with your own heart and with your spirit. And, and so when Paul is calling them to love one another, serve one another, and do all these things, it's not just to, I, I think if we would have written it, it would have been something like, okay, Chris, just while you're on this earth in view of the end, just put up with one another until the time comes. He doesn't say put up with one another. It says love one another. Each one using their gift to serve one another. As, as Peter says, as good stewards of God's very varied grace. You see, God, God's grace ought to be shown in the life of His church. We ought to see God's grace manifested in our midst. When people come into this place, they ought, they ought to see that. It ought to reflect God's mercy and God's love and His patience. And it's even in his service through the Lord Jesus who served us. That ought to be reflected in life within these walls. And and while we do we do, we live in a we live in the midst of a world in opposition to God. We do. But let's be honest. Let's be honest. We worship freely. No one is bothering us while we worship. People aren't waiting for you outside for when you walk out to bother you, hurl insults at you. Our call, particularly here at Trinity Grace Church, is to one another well while we experience growth and ease and freedom. Isn't, Isn't that strange? It seems strange, doesn't it? That right now... The biggest challenge before us as a church, I mean, this is God's goodness to us and his grace to us as a church because the biggest challenge before us is not persecution from without. It's not division from within. But our biggest challenge is presented because of the growth that God has blessed us with. Boy, that seems strange, doesn't it? That's God's grace to us. And so as we think about that, as we think about how we live life, Peter Peter had begun this section of Scripture with an exhortation to be self-controlled, to be uh, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And it's interesting how he says this, because the two words that he uses are virtually synonymous. Uh, but he does that because he's, he's, he's emphasizing something. The fact that we live in this time, the fact that we live... Um, at the end of all things, Peter says, it calls for right thinking. That's, that's, what, that's what these words mean, sober-minded. It, it calls for right thinking. And, and Peter's call is urgent. There's an urgency here. The time, the time of the end is near. We, and we might, think, we might think that this, that this type of um, urgency actually calls for some radical behavior. Uh, almost like the, the mass hysteria of chicken little. The, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. So therefore we got to go do this. We got to go do that. We got to do all of these things. Not at all. Actually, this is a different kind of radical here. It's, in fact, it's a, it's a clear headed action. It's thinking of terms, uh, it's thinking in terms of what's ultimate. It's thinking in terms of what's eternal, not temporal. That's what Peter wants us to do. He wants to change our thinking. And to think on the ultimate, and not just what goes on here. Not just what goes on outside our doors or out in the news, but think about what's ultimate. So this is not an out-of-our-minds type of radical, but it's radical for us because for the very reason that he calls us to think rightly in the midst of a world that has lost its mind. That's what's radical about the call. It's to think rightly, to think rightly with the mind of Christ. And so again, we could look at this, we could read it, and we could go, "Oh, oh this is this is that radical call. These are the end times." And, and and then we go, so and we when we draw an incorrect conclusion, we say these are the end times, and therefore let's go do let's go do the things that we'll never get to do because once we're gone from here, we'll never get to do it again. But what have we made ultimate, right? If we do that, what we've made ultimate is the things that we do here and not there. But oftentimes, that's the way that we think. The end is at hand. Let's go do those things and get them out of the way. But that's, that's the mind on the things of the flesh. But, but Peter doesn't say that. Peter says the end is here, but think rightly. Think rightly for the sake of your prayers. We We do live in the end or in view of the end. But again, let's think about that rightly. We've been in the end since the resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the end times. And we've been in them for quite some time. And we may think, well, then what's the encouragement then? Because these are long end times. Yeah, they are. They are, but the beauty of that is that's how we're called to live as the church as we wait for the consummation of all things. And we go, well, we're going to get tired if we do that. No, 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 because we don't do it in our strength, because we're looking in view of what's to come, but we're living in light of what's already happened. And what is that? The Lord Jesus conquered death and sin on our behalf. We live in view of the cross of the Lord Jesus, and, or we live in light of the cross of the Lord Jesus, and we live in view of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. These are indeed the end times. But it's not a, oh my goodness. It is a, these are the end times. Therefore, think rightly. Think rightly. Live in a way that brings honor and glory to the name of Christ. We, we don't remove ourselves from everyday life. Oh, the time of the end is here, so let's remove ourselves from everyday life. Not at all. We don't go off the deep end. We don't quit doing the normal, sometimes even mundane things of loving and serving. What God calls us to do. And we do them well. We don't throw up our hands and we say, well, God is God's going to do what He's going to do. And it's almost here now, so... Well, whatever. No. Peter says, for the sake of your prayers, be clear-minded so that your prayers are in accord with the will of God. Ask God to give strength. Ask God to act. Ask God to provide. Ask God to give you the strength to do that, that he calls you to do so that, so that what? So that the church is built up. So that the church is strong so that His grace is manifest in our midst and to a watching world, and so that the gospel continues to be proclaimed in this world. As we've begun, as I mentioned a little bit ago, as we've begun our, our By Faith initiative Again, brothers and sisters, this is not just about a physical building. Let's face it. That's a practical need, and it's a, and, and it's a desire, and it impacts our ministry and helps increase that ministry. But just as much, just as much, it's about trusting that God will not only provide the material needs, but in so doing, he's building us up together in love. Because he's building his church. Not out of brick and mortar. But out of people like you and like me. He's building his church. So part of our prayer in the midst of this should be that God would strengthen us to love one another. Because why? Well, Peter says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Right? We just read that. And what does that mean? Peter is not saying... That when we love, it, that, that it forgives sin or atones for sin. Only one thing can do that, and that is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And aren't we thankful for that? That the work of Christ, that His blood covers our sin, atones for our sin. Some of you, I, I, I've been thinking about this almost every Sunday. For some reason, when I've gotten into the pulpit, I've thought there, there may be somebody who's come today that needs to be reminded. And, and of course, we we do. We preach the gospel every Sunday, but sometimes, sometimes you can put an exclamation point on it in a way where you go, "Oh, oh, that was so good! I needed to hear that." And maybe you're the maybe you're the one that needs to hear that today—that you're struggling with guilt and shame over past sin. But the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ cleanses you, forgives you. You're forgiven in Christ Jesus. Wash clean in him and you can rejoice in him. So Peter's not saying that your love covers sin in that way. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is that your response to your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, your response in love, does have the power to turn away anger. It covers, your love covers a multitude of sins. And you don't have to respond in a certain way. Your response in love actually does have the power to diffuse conflict. When you are loving someone, you don't always have to point out the wrong. I think, and, and, Many of you may know others like this. Maybe you're this way. Maybe you feel like you've always got to point out the wrong. I'd be interested to ask the people that live with you if you're a lot of fun to live with. Are you that way? Always having to point out the wrong with somebody else? Always having to be right about something? You don't have to do that. In the strength of Christ, you can, you can actually, you can swallow it. You can pay that debt for them, as it were. When you love somebody, you don't always have to win. You don't always have to be right. When you love someone and they hurt you or they offend you, you can bless in return because of Christ. You see, that, that has the power to diffuse, But we too often don't do that, do we? I know I don't because I'm so quick to defend myself too often. We too often add gas to the fire because we've got to be justified. We've got to be justified. And this is, this is part of applying the gospel to everyday life, isn't it? If I'm the type of person that always has to justify myself, I need to ask the question, am I I resting in what Jesus has done for me? Or or do I think I have to be justified because I am too afraid to be found out because I'm actually not trusting in what Jesus has done for me? We've got to be seen as right. We've got to be treated in the way that we think we deserve to be treated. That's not what Peter's calling us to. It's not what God calls us to. That's not loving others. That's loving self. And loving self doesn't cover a multitude of sins, but it does create and spurn a multitude of others. It does do that. In the church, not just in our, not just in our relationships with our, our immediate family, but our church family, the household and family of God as we encourage one another. And we're to do so even more as we see, the author of Hebrews says that, even more as we see the day approaching. We're to encourage one another. We're living in the end times. And did you know, did you know the coming of Christ is one day closer today than it was yesterday? Please, somebody say, duh. But that's the proper way to think of it, isn't it? We are one day closer today than we were yesterday. We don't know when it will be. But we are living in the last days. And Peter says, show hospitality to one another. And some of you are really working on that. I know you are. Some of you are really good at that. Some of us need to learn from you in that. One thing that I was really impressed with this past week, I had the opportunity and the privilege to spend time with a lot of of you this past week and visiting with y'all. And one of the things that I was reminded of this last week, how, how important it is, for the people of God to get together, just in fellowship. Just in fellowship. We're so encouraged by that. And and you may not know this, but I'm kind of more of an introvert. And so on the front side of those things, I'm, oh, I wish I could just go read a book or be by myself or do whatever. But then when I get with God's people, I'm like, oh my goodness, I needed to be with God's people tonight. And I was encouraged by that and my heart was warmed because of that because we need that fellowship and and that's a that hospitality showing hospitality that that's a radical call for some of you i know it is and particularly since he adds that part it might have been easier if he didn't add the next part but then he says without grumbling and I'm like oh i can practice hospitality but i don't want to but he's said, nope without grumbling Without complaining about it. We're to be ready and willing to love and receive a brother or a sister in Christ Jesus. I know, I know this is a struggle for some. But how is it done well? Again, without grumbling, without bitterness. And, And I know we struggle with that because let's face it, we've got, we've all got responsibilities. We're all at different stages of life. We've got this, we've got that. And oh my, and oh my, I get it. But this is what Peter, this is what the Lord is saying to his people. You need this even when you don't think you do. Even when you don't think you do, you need this. So practice hospitality with one another. And it's not our call. I think sometimes we do this. It's not our role or our call to make sure that somebody else is having the opportunity to practice these things. I think we sometimes do that. We go, well, if Daniel and Jennifer, they really need to be practicing hospitality, so they need to be reaching out to me and asking me to come over. This would really help my brother and sister if they do this. No, that's not our role. Our role is for me to invite Daniel and Jennifer over. For me to practice that. Because then it blesses me and it blesses them. Both. And I I mean, I get it. How do we balance those things in life? But we're to practice them. We're to practice them. That's how we get better at it. Without grumbling. Because after all, I mean, if, if I'm only wanting other people to do that so that it benefits me, that's not me, one another, that's, that's me being self-centered. That's me wanting to be ministered to. Sometimes we do need that, yes. Look at verse 10. We use our gifts to serve one another as God's as good stewards of God's very grace. There will be times when when it is needed, when I need it, when you need it. And so we as the body of Christ ought to, Ought to be asking the question are we, are we being good stewards with the gifts that God has given to us? Are we using the gifts and the graces that God has given to us within the body of Christ so that she might be built up, encouraged, strengthened in the midst of this world? And, and so, it, but it's not just for our good. I mean, we can ask it for that, and it is for our good, but it's not just only for our good because it's, it honors Jesus, it honors Christ. It's for the glory of Christ. We reflect. So when we're serving the church, we're actually serving the Lord. Because we reflect and we mirror the love of Christ when we do those things. We mirror the love of Christ, the love of our Savior who who gave himself for us, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us, who, who received, who served us in doing so. And who even received us as his own. Jesus has practiced these three things perfectly. He has loved us. He served us. He practiced. He he doesn't even practice hospitality. He does hospitality. He's done it. He's done it. And as we do that in our midst, we're actually reflecting the love of Christ. And we do these things not out of or in our own strength, but in the strength that God supplies for us. When we speak, we speak, the or, uh, we speak not of ourselves, but we speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. And why do we do that? Well, Peter tells us. He says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We love, we serve, we, we show hospitality so that the name of Christ might be exalted. That's why we do what we do. So that God might be glorified through Christ. And think about this with me for just a moment. When or if... If we aren't manifesting God's grace or mirroring God's grace in our midst, then we aren't loving but we're instead, we're acting just like the world around us. When we aren't serving others, we are self-centered in our actions and in our life. And when we do those things, we're dishonoring God. It's not just that we aren't doing what we're supposed to be doing, and it's somehow something neutral that we're just kind of floating along. No, we're actually misrepresenting the Lord Jesus in our midst. This is a serious deal. Because we're to reflect the Lord Jesus to each other and to a watching world, And if we are reflecting something different, we're dishonoring the name of Christ. Peter had earlier taught in in this letter that as individuals, we can actually live in contradiction to our calling. And the same is true as the church, corporate. The church corporate can live if Christ isn't being preached, if his graces aren't being um, practiced in our midst manifested in our midst, then we are actually living in contradiction to our very calling and then notice what peter notice what Peter does where peter so Paul when we think about the Apostle Paul when Paul describes all the gifts he goes into pretty good detail about all the different gifts within the life of the church, but Peter mentions them much more generally he kind of He kind of puts them into two different categories. You've got the speaking gifts, and you've got the serving gifts. So again, Paul's much more specific, but Peter just speaking and serving. And and both of those things have their place within the life of the church. Both are used for the glory of Christ. So for the one who speaks... He or she speaks the oracles of God. That is to say, as we're, as we're talking about, it's ministers, of course. It's the, the person, that the minister of the gospel. He, he does that. I'm called to do that. To speak the gospel of Christ. So that is to say that those who have speaking gifts, we don't use our speaking gifts to speak of ourselves or for ourselves. But we speak the oracles of God. We speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Because after all, we do so, so that God might be glorified in Christ Jesus. If I get up here and talk about me all the time, you don't need a story about me. You don't need my, even my opinion on particular matters. What you need is the Lord Jesus. What you need is the Lord Jesus. Give me Jesus. Have you all ever seen this? I think some of you have, if you've ever been up here. This little sign, it sits right here. It used to be up here, but it keeps on coming off. It says, Sirs, that we may see Jesus. This is my call. This is the call of whoever stands behind this pulpit to preach so that you might see Jesus. Because it's He who you need. It's He who I need. We need the Lord Jesus. And so if we have anything to give, it's him, whether it's from the pulpit, whether it's from our Sunday schools, whether it's through our summer kids programs, whether it's through Wednesdays in the word, whether it's through our Bible studies, what is spoken here should be the word of God, because that's what we need. As we live in view of the end, as we live in view of the end, we speak of that which has already been. We speak of that which God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what Peter's been doing. And, and again, that, that living in the tension of the already and the not yet. So he's been pointing us to Jesus' as person and to Jesus' as work. There's that past part. But then he's also been pointing us forward to that future that awaits because of that reality that's been accomplished in the past. Peter's burden of living life is founded on and in the gospel of Christ. God is glorified. God is glorified. Uh, manifestly and supremely in the gospel, Jesus Christ, the crucified and risen Lord. When we speak, we speak of Christ, and of course, as the church in the world, his praise, his praise ought to be on our lips. We ought to tell other people about Jesus. But Peter again is talking about his emphasis here is the church corporate here. He's not saying that you in the world or that all of us out in the world speak only of the gospel, that you have nothing else to give or to offer as you live as a member of the society. Of course you do. And you have the freedom to do that. But the church's message is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the message of the church. And the church not only has speaking gifts given to her, but also serving gifts. Serving gifts. And these gifts also to bring glory to God and... and and, and they do bring glory to God. And they are done in the strength that God provides. And he supplies. And it reflects the grace and the self-sacrificial love of our Savior. One gift is not more important than the other. If the service you perform is done in your own strength, then this isn't... Peter's not talking about that. Peter's talking about doing service, that what, what God supplies for us. Because if we do it in our own strength, the glory is ours. Look what I've done. Look what I've done, we might say. Well, you've received the glory. But Peter's talking about bringing glory to the Lord. Uh, Thomas Schreiner says that the provider is always the one who is praised. The provider is always the one who's praised. Who, who do we give credit for the provision? To the Lord or for ourselves? Because if it's ourselves, we're the one being praised. But to the Lord, the praise belongs to Him. And this is that type of service that forces us outside of ourselves, forces us to rest on the strength that God provides for us. And this applies. This applies to our service within the church. It also applies to to what we're doing in the By Faith Initiative, doesn't it? That's why it's called By Faith, because it's something bigger than us, something that we can't do ourselves. And and isn't it the service that we don't think that we can do when it's bigger than us, when it's beyond our own strength, that actually, isn't it that service that then drives us back to Christ? Isn't it that service that drives us to our knees? Isn't it that service that drives us to prayer that we cry out to him and say, oh God, I can't do this. Would you please provide? And isn't that where we should be? Isn't that where we should be? because if we know that he's the one that provides he's the one that receives the praise we rely on the lord and we serve by his strength and, and some of you may have experienced this as well that, that when you serve and you serve in a way and you do something that's beyond what you think you can do in your own strength at the end of it all yeah physically you may be you may be ex- uh, exhausted but at the same time you're energized you may be exhausted but at the same time you're excited Why? Because you're full of the joy of having been used by the Lord. You've been encouraged by that. You've you've died to yourself and you've lived for the sake of another. Oh, that encourages me. God did this in me. What what an encouragement of of the assurance of my own salvation that God would do this with me. He actually used me. What Peter is saying is that whether we speak whether we serve, the end, of the saint, the end is the same. Whether we speak or serve, it is to exalt the name of the living Christ. To put Him on display in our words and our actions. That's no different, is it, than what the rest of the Scripture teaches us? It's what John means when he says that we don't love with just words, with mere talk, but, with love, but we love with deed and in truth. And, and some of us might, as Brandon said with the kids, some of us might desire other gifts, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have gifts to serve within the life of the church. In fact, we should desire to have them. But some of, them, some of us may wish that we had somebody else's. Brothers and sisters, one gift is not more important than another. I know that we, we think that it is. Somebody might say, "Well, well, Chris, you get to preach every Sunday, and so your gift is certainly more important than mine. No, it is not more important than yours. That's a faulty understanding. It's more noticeable than yours, maybe. But it's not more important than yours. Use your gift, whatever it may be. Let's not fail to use what we've been given. Because, again, they serve the same end. They're all spiritual gifts. They're Whether it's speaking or serving, they're spiritual gifts. They're both needed, both used within the body of Christ. When we don't use them, we're not being good stewards with what God's provided for us. We're not being good stewards of God's gifts and His graces. He gives us those things so that He might be glorified in His Son. For after all, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When you speak of Christ, when you serve in Christ, You bring glory to the one who reigns and has dominion for all eternity. And isn't that rightly, isn't that rightly the one to whom we should do all things because we do what we do for his glory. And one of the kids in the children's sermon this morning said, oh yeah, Pastor Chris reminds us of that all the time, doesn't he? Yes, for his glory, to enjoy him forever, to the glory of God. And here's the the wonder of it, that yes, it's to his glory, but when we begin to understand that our good is actually found in his glory, so we promote the glory of God, and by God's grace, we are blessed because of it. To the glory of God and for the good of the people. Let's pray, shall we? God in heaven, thank you for this morning. And thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. Thank you for your church. Thank you for this particular church at Trinity Grace that you have blessed in so many ways. You have showered us with your blessing. And for that, we give you thanks.